Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Tina Sire, PCA Chief Impact Officer. Mary Wise has been the head coach of the University of Florida women's volleyball team for 25 years. Since her hire there in 1991, she's the winningest coach in the nation with an eye-popping 767 victories. This two-time American Volleyball Coaches Association National Coach of the Year was awarded the title All-Time Great Coach by USA Volleyball in 2006. Perhaps more impressive than her incredible scoreboard success is the Mary Wise Coaching Tree. More than a dozen of her former players and assistant coaches have gone on to be head coaches at the college level. Coach Wise, thanks so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure. I'm hoping we could thank you. I'm hoping we could kick off by hearing a little bit about your experience growing up in Evanston, Illinois, um, as one of six siblings, and I'm really curious what that was like and what your youth sports experience was like. Well, I could tell you that it was very different than youth sports today. Um, one, just that era, and two, being a female. But probably the greatest. Well, there, there were a few things that helped me along the way. One, um, four brothers, uh, two in a neighborhood with a ton of kids, so there was constant games being played. And one of their favorite games that was played um, at a close-by park was baseball. And it wasn't just like, like team against team. It was trying to hit ball baseballs up on the um, L tracks because that would be the home run. And oftentimes uh-huh. I was the all time I was the all time pitcher. I never got to hit, but oh. sure did help my arm swing. Um, so there so you go. brothers, a lot of kids in the neighborhood. I grew up learning to to swim at the YMCA. Was a camp counselor for uh, greatest, still one of the best jobs I ever had, being a camp counselor. And in the Catholic girls Chicago land. It, area they had a girls basketball league before there were basketball leagues in college almost there was a, hmm. a really good girls basketball league in the Chicago area and um, I got to do that in in junior high and love that and then went on and played three sports in high school and the rest is history wow and one of those three sports in high school was volleyball it was volleyball, and even though I came to volleyball later than the other two sports, being basketball and softball, volleyball, I I didn't start playing until actually 10th grade, which it would be crazy late for an athlete this day and age. But it was almost yeah. as a filler as something to do in the fall before basketball. But it didn't take long before I realized this is the sport I loved the most and thought I had the greatest potential um, because I certainly hadn't peaked um, that earlier day. And so three years of playing high school and then f- very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time to be recruited to Purdue. And what is that story of, of how the Purdue program saw you and how you ended up at Purdue? Well, Carol Dewey, who I believe may still be the all-time winningest coach in Purdue history, was recruiting a player from our league, a great player, uh, who went to our arch-rival school, and only because another recruit said no, that recruit, an All-American who went on to USC, that recruit said no, to Carol, do we have an open scholarship? And she said at the time that she really was trying to, 
to find a personality. And, and of course, my teammates made fun of what that personality was. But I, I got it. She was trying to create a culture of winning. And not that I had had a ton of success. I just, if you grew up with four brothers, um, you know, have to learn to be competitive just to get to the dessert. And so um, <laughs> I was very fortunate. She was recruiting that great player in, in the area which led her to be introduced to me. That was back in the day where you tried out, and I bet my tryout was awful. Awful. I know she didn't recruit me for my skills, um, but right place at the right time. Moved, went to Purdue on a scholarship. Right when scholarships were first being offered, it wasn't true across the Big Ten, but Purdue was one of the first schools, and she moved from an outside hitter to a setter. Um, you don't do that this day and age either. And and right. better, much like a point guard, um, you get to kind of run the show. I love that. So maybe maybe made the transition into coaching easier because of it. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad you were sort of going there about sports specialization and specialization in positions because I was going to ask you when you specialized in volleyball and when you became a setter. So it sounds like it wasn't till college that you specialized and that, that you even changed positions um, when you got to the college level. And I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about that for players who might be listening and their parents about when do you feel like is the right time to specialize? And it's a different day and age now, but keeping open-minded about your position and um, you know what, what you learned from your experience going to Purdue. Well, definitely the, at the time I played was a different era, and there wasn't the the club volleyball, the year-round access to the same sport, uh, private lessons yeah. and all that is offered right now. But I do say this. If you go through the history of the University of Florida volleyball program and all of the players that were multiple All-Americans, so not just one year, but more, more than one year. They came from different parts of the country, different parts of the world. They played a different, in different eras, and they played different positions. There was one thing they had in common, and that was they played more than just volleyball growing up. And most of them hmm. played another sport besides volleyball into high school. I realize that's very difficult to do now, the strain that it causes family just to play one sport. But especially for females, I would encourage not to specialize too soon. The best best athletes that have come through Florida, the best athletes that have come through our women's national team program, they all played more yeah. than just volleyball growing up. Now, why do you think that is? You know, why do you think that that is what they all have in common and what has helped them be so successful at that next level? I think it's just the 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 motor learning of becoming a better athlete. Yeah. I think boys are mm-hmm. socialized in terms of pickup games and on the playground at a young age that they're always playing different games. And yeah. and girls, it's just part of the playground culture. And so they're not trying to, you know, we don't, girls just don't go from one sport to another naturally the way young yeah. boys do. And so if they're only playing volleyball, those are the only motor skills they learn. And I think it, it does limit them in the long run. Yep, yep. Um, 
so so after your time at Purdue, and I think you're being pretty humble about your your playing ability and getting recruited for your um, competitive personality. But shortly after your days of being an undergrad playing, um, you became the Iowa State head coach. I think at age 21, I believe that was a record-setting, you know, young age head coach at the college level. And I'm curious, like, were there specific lessons from Coach Dewey, um, Carol Dewey, your Purdue coach, that you felt you brought into that um, into that job? And then there are a few things now, all these years later, where you look back at that year, those first few years, where there are things you know now that you really wish you had known then, um, and maybe a few of those nuggets that you could pull out for some of our coaches who are listening, um, things you wish um, you had known then. I can tell you for the record, I did turn 22 before our first match. So at least I was older <laughs> so than the seasoned. seniors. <laughs> yes, I, I right. was offered the job in, um, I believe, in May, right after I graduated from college. And I didn't even know yeah. what I didn't know. But this much I can right. tell you, I couldn't have asked for a better mentor than Carol Dewey. And the time right. that she spent with me my senior year, when I knew I wanted to coach in college, and helping me to, to to expand my volleyball IQ. But the, at the end of the day, the lesson, the most valuable lesson I learned from Carol is it's not about the X's and O's. It's about the people and the relationships. And as long as I kept that as my, my number one focus, and I'd, I haven't wavered from that. Did I make coaching mistakes during my my first year at Florida or at Iowa State? Absolutely. Heck, I got a speeding yeah. ticket on the way to our first match when we drove vans. <laughs> I made a ton of mistakes. But I always yep. look back, at least I didn't get anybody hurt, and I still keep in touch with that group of players. And two years ago, when Florida played in the regionals at Iowa State, a group of them came to the matches that we played. Oh. And it was so – I hadn't seen them in all these many years. But to see the, mm-hmm. the successful women that they've become and know that they look back and they valued their time at Iowa State, and the Iowa State program did a wonderful job of welcoming back that weekend. It was really one of um, the highlights of this pa- over the past few years. So for a young coach – I, I think we can get caught up in what you don't know, but as long yeah. as your as your motivation and your culture and your philosophy is one of integrity and honesty and put the player to understand that the person is always more important than the player, then I think you can mm. survive the mistakes. Yeah. Um, I love this. The person's more important than the player. So, so you were saying that Carol taught you to always put the people and the relationships first. What did you do specifically to do that? And are, are there certain things that uh, um, a new coach could mimic in the way that you would put the people and the relationships first? Well, the challenge I had at the time is when I was hired at 21, I wanted so I felt it was so important. I had to separate myself from the players that. <laughs> we're almost kidding myself that I was this seasoned, experienced coach. And so I right. I tried to be honest. I didn't know everything, and I didn't try to, to pretend I did. But yeah. to understand that if you if you show that you care, you know, I think one of the the great quotes I love is they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I, right. I think Carol taught me that. And so that the team just wanted 
to be the Iowa State team. They were they were so motivated to, to at least be competitive, and they worked tirelessly, and they never questioned my background or my motivation. I put in wrong yeah. lineups. I oh, there's so many things I would have done different, but they yeah. knew they knew I I, I wanted badly to win. We were going to compete yeah. as hard, but more important that again that I learned from Carol: care about the person first. The wins will follow. And yep. I think sometimes we can lose track of that, and especially as athletics grows and the amount of money into it. But I don't think at any level will it will hurt you if you put the person above the player. So much so that that when I was coaching, I. I had the players call me Mary. Now, why not coach? Yeah. And I thought I didn't. It would be it'd be a false. It would be a false pretense if I asked them to call me coach when I was their age, the seniors' age, mm. and, mm-hmm. and then just turned a year older um, in time. And so, calling, referring to me as every player has done since, not the freshmen because they barely know what to say in front of me but um right. ever since that they can call they call me mary because i want them to know we're on the same page like and i'm not going to put myself so far up on a pedestal there's no need we're in this together great great well i wanted to ask you about um the university of florida and you know taking over a program that before you joined didn't have any regular season sec titles I believe now you guys have won 21, and somewhere in there there was like an 18-year streak of SEC titles. Just incredible. Um, and I was curious, sort of, how do you create that culture? And I think you've you've given me some of the keys um, to that culture. But um, specifically, I guess, what does it feel like to play for you um, in that culture? I know one of the things now is I'm going to call you Mary, you know, not coach. Okay. Um, but what is it like to, to be an athlete on your team and, you know, both on the court and then also off the court? I would l- like to think that the players, after they've come through the program, can step back and say that they grew as a person, that we used the sport as just the avenue to become a better person and mm-hmm. and that they would leave the, the women that come through this program would feel the the strength and the confidence that, that they could go accomplish anything they wanted to and that the only limits that they not that are there are ones that weren't put on themselves and right. we were going to compete and we'll compete hard very hard but our culture is one of respecting one another, loving the game, and building relationships that will last a lifetime. One of my favorite things about this job is the relationships I can have with the players after they've graduated. Yeah. And when I'm no longer trying to push them out of their comfort zone. And I did have a player told me that, that she said that I always thought she was capable of doing more than she thought she was capable of doing. And I think empowering yeah. empowering your athletes yeah. is the yeah. best gift we can give them. Yeah, yeah. And getting them to believe um, in themselves. Yeah, I think I may have I may have heard you. You know, you're about to say em- empowering the young women, um, and of course, all athletes through sports. One question we get at Positive Coaching Lines a lot is like, what's the difference between coaching boys and girls, or between coaching men and women? And um, I'm curious. Like, I bet you get that question as well. 
do you think there's a difference? And, you know, are there certain coaching <clears throat> techniques or things that you feel like work with, with women that don't work as well with men? Or do you differentiate at all when you think about coaching boys versus girls? I, I will answer this question and tell you, although I have not coached boys or men, I did raise two boys and, and, yeah. and two boys that played sports. So I was around it a lot. But I'm going to give credit where I learned this from is Kathy DeBoer, who is the executive director of our the American Volleyball Coaches Association. And when I worked for her um, many years ago, um, and she, an avid reader who was working on her, her master's and was learning about the sociology between men and women, and it was right when there was a book called uh, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And it was it was a pop yep. culture book, the differences between men and women. And Kathy really studied this. And essentially has written a book on gender and competition and understanding, hmm. again, men and women are socialized differently and men see the world in terms of, and I'm, I'm drawing very, uh, trying to narrow this down to the right Reader's Digest version of it, is that men see yeah. the world in terms of a ladder and hierarchy and where they are on that ladder and women mm-hmm. see the world in terms of relationships. And we mm-hmm. we value women connectedness. And mm-hmm. and we fear separation. And so do I see a difference? Absolutely. Do I coach knowing that? A hundred percent. That if I can mm-hmm. get the player to feel connected, even the last player who's not on the bench, who isn't maybe participating and contributing in a significant playing role for her to still feel connected, part of the family, part of the team, that's what's most important. Even the best female, the most talented female player on your team, if she doesn't feel connected to the group, she's not going to perform up to her capabilities. She's not going to excel. And so, how do you do that? That last player on the bench. You know, how do you keep her involved and connected? I, they, she too has a role. She has to see her worth. Every human being makes a contribution, and as a coach, it's our job to help them identify that what that contribution is, and may and yeah. maybe and then help them develop the next way they can help contribute. But every player has to feel. I think to be successful, that they have to feel that they're they're part of the family, and that they're valued. and And my job is to help them see it individually, and then help the collective group recognize each other's worth. Mm-hmm. Excellent, excellent. Um, earlier, you were talking about how you. I want to get this exactly right. You said you push players sometimes like to to a place that they don't even know they can go and that you're you know you're helping get them to the place that they didn't even think they could get to and i'm i'm curious how do you um it sounds like from all i've heard you're a really positive coach and when people talk about you they talk about how positive you are and at the same time you're very demanding um so how do those two things coexist and there may be some people who think a positive coach I think there's a misconception that that's soft or easy and just you say good job. But how do you balance or how do those two things coexist, being positive and demanding? I think they they can coexist. Um, I think you start with with building that culture of getting a player to be comfortable being uncomfortable, but also for her, players tend – 
and so and so true high school college younger is it's so hard to see the big picture to see down the road all they can see is themselves today right now how they performed in that match and and not to to put a value we are not as a person we should not be judged on our athletic performance we we are the people we are we are not the player we are and so to trying to help a an individual understand the long term that I can remember my first year here. So I, I have very little background with the players. And I told one of the players in early practice, I might've been the first week I was at Florida. What a great passer I thought she is and how, how I see her being a, a central part of our team serve receive. And she never thought of herself as a great passer. Actually, she didn't hmm. think, she was a very good passer at all. I saw the technique, it, but she had somehow been gotten that label or put the label on herself. And then she was just a, she was a, a rising junior, and she had two great years as an integral part of our serve receive. So I think you mm-hmm. can just changing the narrative for a player, helping them see down the road of the player that they they can be, and then and then providing the path. I think that's in co- that's what we do in coaching, is you help them see their talents, and I often say make your strength your strength. While you're growing your game, whatever it is you do well, be great at that. Hang your hat on that, and then we'll grow your rest of your game. Because when you have something you do well, that's when you're confident, and there is no substitute for self confidence. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, not all players are confident and self-confident, and I think often they fear making mistakes or they make a mistake and it they can't get beyond it. It really impacts their performance moving forward. Um, do you have any tools that you use with your athletes to help them past mistakes or a mistake something that you guys openly talk about as a team? We do talk about it, and, we, um, and one of the lines we use often is fail often. You have the only way to get better is by failing and mm-hmm. and risking failure. I think that's a great th- thing about athletics is it allows you to risk failure. I mean, the, most of us, none of us are perfect. And every time she goes back yeah. to serve, there's a chance she's going to miss. And that's okay. And you learn, you learn from those failures. The player who tries to be safe will never get the most out of his or her potential. And as a yeah. coach, that's why we schedule as difficult a competition as we can. Is there a chance of losing? Yeah. Absolutely. But that's how we learn. And if they – we talk to the players, I'd rather them make an aggressive mistake than play conservatively. And right. the best players that have come through this program were willing to look bad along the way, make plenty of mistakes, but that's how they grew their game. Yeah. So so I'm curious in the recruiting process, um, how much do you look for that mentality, um, you know, being willing to be pushed out of your comfort zone and, and play hard and with intensity and not, you know, play sort of more passively or, you know, where you want to play perfectly. Are you able to assess that in your recruiting? And is that mentality something you're, you're able to look at, not just sort of the physical volleyball skills um, of what you're seeing on the court? 
but it's certainly something we we love to find in while we're recruiting is the player who has not only the athletic talent and the volleyball skills, but that persona, that positive energy, competitive, um, the player who wants the ball at match point and is willing to risk being the goats. I mean, it's going to happen, but um, again, I think we're, the more games they play, no matter what kind of games they are, the more you learn how to lose. And and yeah. that the, it's not about the loss. It's about learning from the loss. Yeah. What advice would you give athletes? Um, you know, it's, it's always such a stressful situation for kids when they're playing in tournaments and they know there are a lot of college coaches watching. Um, what are some of those things that you're looking for and other coaches are looking for that aren't, again, sort of the physical skills on the court? And what advice would you give kids about how they carry themselves at tournaments and when they're being watched by coaches? I, I think to play play for your teammates and play for yep. the love of the game without having mm-hmm. one eye on who's watching. All we right. all, As coaches, we do. We watch at timeouts. What's the eye yeah. contact of the player with the coach? Where yeah. does the player go immediately following the match into the stands mm-hmm. with her parents? Mm-hmm. Does she immediately put headphones on and separate herself? Or is she? Ooh. Some of the players I have enjoyed coaching the most are players that you can just see they, they do have big personalities, but they, people are drawn to them. And yeah. she's maybe the one leading the dance during warm-ups and yep. has that kind of enthusiasm for what she's doing. We talk yeah. about in camp, one of the messages we send is that you're either a giver or a taker. Mm. And that a giver, that's the player who goes out of her way, no matter what her game is looks like at that moment, is trying to yeah. make her help her teammates, inspiring her teammates, slapping hands, making eye contact, bringing energy between plays. The taker is the player who's who, and we give them roles when we demonstrate this at camp. There's I'm a eye roller and Fiona's <laughs> full of herself. We have all these different roles, and the players are great about acting them out and really exaggerating yeah. it. But we talk about there are certain things you cannot control as an athlete how tall you are, how long or short your arms might be, how big or small your hands might be, but you can always control your attitude. And if we were recruiting a player, no matter how talented she might be, if she was so caught up in her own self, it would be really hard to look past that. I think the great players make everyone else around them better not just with their skills, but with their, with their drive, their work ethic, their attention to detail, and, and really how much fun they are to play with. Mary, you're getting me so fired up. I think I might have to become a libero and make a reentry into the college scene to, to come play for you. Um, Bring it really on back. Someone who's good, I'll take you in a heartbeat. Awesome. It's awesome. Um, so another one of the big changes um, that's come along, you know, in your during your time coaching is is social media, and it's such a hot topic for the high school students and even the middle school students that we talk to, and sort of um, 
I think it's naive to think kids aren't going to use social media, but do you have some best practices or advice you give kids at your camps or your college students about their own use of social media, especially where it intersects with their sports? We we do have um, conversations, especially with our players, about mm-hmm. the impact social media can have. And, and, and we have folks, professionals, that will come in and talk to them and how one bad post, how it could affect someone's life. And that's really, really scary. Uh, yeah. And how conscientious they have to be. But what isn't different is the message that players were receiving 25 years ago. And that is 24-7, they represent our program, our family. Mm. And the decisions yeah. they make off the, off the court are a reflection on the players before them and their teammates at this time. And to yeah. never forget that. I think if social media could be used in such empowering, positive ways, if every post you had was an opportunity to encourage someone else or applaud someone's efforts or recognize someone else, I think we could take less selfies and, and give more props would be good for social media. I love it. I love it. Take less selfies. Um, That's great. Give more props. That's awesome. Okay. So I think another big thing that I feel like has changed a lot, um, even at the college level, is the involvement of parents. And, you know, I think, you know, 25, 30 years ago, we didn't have parents calling college coaches trying to give their input about the program. Um, But I think sort of the way sports have gone, um, parents – you know, they they feel like that is their role occasionally. And I'm curious, in your program, like, what do you do to set the foundation for parents about how they're involved in your program, and um, how do you feel like that experience of interacting with parents has changed over your, you know, um, 30 years coaching at the college level? I, I think um, the the rule that we put into place early on has helped us, and that was I would happily talk to any parent but the player has to be present for that conversation. And I know that's a, that's a rule that a lot of high school coaches use as well. And I think as long yeah. as it's an open dialogue, and I try to present your your daughter playing well and succeeding is exactly what I want too. Now, yeah. how we get there, we may see different paths to how we get there, but the sooner yeah. we're on the same page. And then once that culture is in place, and the older players explain it to the younger players. You know, every freshman that goes to college at our level, they never sat on the bench. They never right. not started. Right. And, and so they're going to go yeah. through an adjustment period. And I, yeah. I, I tell the parents and I tell the player, she cannot call home only after, in her eyes, was a bad practice. She must call home after the good practices. Because what's a yes. parent supposed to do if she only hears they only hear from her after she, in her eyes, saw it as a bad practice? I don't think players have too many bad practices myself. I think you put in good effort. You might not have gotten that much better that day, and we could talk about what got in the way. But I, as a parent, I understand if you only hear the bad, you're gonna be skewed. So right. I, I try to think as the parents are, are a great asset to our program. And they raised them. I will tell you this: the, pl- the players that have been raised really 
the best, the less raising I have to do during their career. Mm. So, so that player who had the high values and the understanding of respecting one another and yeah. all of those wonderful values that they learned from their parents, I don't have to, that's not a whole lot more teaching I need to do. But I also understand for reasons that were not the player's fault, um, not everyone has that in their background just in terms of, you know, some players who had really tough growing up experiences. Then that's my job. I bought into that, and I'd say this with half, and I would say to any high school coach or college coach, once they're on your team, the more energy you spend on their strengths and less about what they're not, the happier you'll be and the better the athlete will be. It's really easy to get caught up in what they aren't, but I think that's making a mistake. Spend your energy on what they are, who they are, and the, and the positive things they bring to your program. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, so, so one of the things I mentioned in my intro is just the incredible coaching tree, um, that, you know, you've grown of players, um, former players of yours, former assistant coaches who've gone on to be head coaches at the college level. I know also at the high school level. Um, and I'm curious, what do you think it is, um, that's causing so many of your former players and assistant coaches and even both of your sons, um, to end up, uh, wanting to go into coaching as a profession? Well, in the case of my sons, I promise you it wasn't because I pushed them that way. I used to joke all the time, there has to be an easier way to make a living than to be a college coach. But to the players, I'd like to think that their experience here was was so positive and that they saw it as a, a way to help change lives, better lives. I think being a college athlete is one of the greatest experiences. You would know that. And yeah. and if we can, if if the the trickle down theory could happen in terms of if she has a great experience and could bring that to somebody else, then I think the end of the day, that I would like to think that's how we are viewed. It's not about no one will ever ever remember the the winning record, and that doesn't matter. What matters is, did you did you make it a positive experience? And when someone left your program, whether they left your Little League team, your high school JV team, they they left our university, if they left a better person with with wonderful, long-lasting relationships, then we did our job. Well, Mary, I think that that's the perfect note to conclude our interview. And um, I just I appreciate so much for you spending this time with me today um, on this Positive Coaching Alliance one-on-one podcast. And I know um, many coaches and parents and athletes will benefit and really wish you and the Gators um, all the best in the future. And thank you so deeply for being such a wonderful role model um, for the rest of us. And I think you really shared some tangible things that um, others can learn from and, and emulate. So thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for letting me be part of it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.